My name is Jared O'Brien, and this is the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Christians Engaging Culture exists to equip the members of St. Thomas's to give faithful answers in everyday cultural conversations and to turn those conversations to the gospel. For this week's podcast, we have another special episode between our evangelism module and our religious liberty module. Given recent developments around abortion in New South Wales Parliament, we'll be listening to Martin Isles' comments on his podcast called The Truth of It. Martin Isles is the director of the Australian Christian Lobby and will actually be joining us on Sunday the 25th of August between 6.15 and 8.30pm in the Memorial Hall. I'm recording this on Friday the 9th of August after the proposed changes have passed the lower house, but before they have been voted on in the upper house. As Christians, we believe that human life is sacred from the moment of conception. When our Lord Jesus Christ took on human flesh, he didn't appear out of nowhere in Mary's arms in Bethlehem. No, he took on human flesh in Nazareth when he was conceived in her womb. Abortion is a modern genocide and a moral tragedy. Since Victoria passed similar laws in 2008, it has increased the number of late-term abortions by 39%. 304 Victorian babies who were born alive in the abortion process have been left to die on the operating table. In addition, this new law will coerce doctors to refer patients for abortion, even if they believe that it is killing an innocent human life. Doctors will essentially be put in the position of the dissenter with Nazi soldiers at the door asking if there are any Jews inside. As Joanna Howe and Suzanne Lemire write in their Sydney Morning Herald article, it likely forces many in the profession to rethink being a doctor and deters others from pursuing a medical career. They say in an area such as abortion, where views are deeply held around the starting point of human life, it is a gross violation of doctors' human rights to force them to act against their conscience. I will share more resources at the end of this episode, but for now, here is Martin Isles from The Truth of It. We're going to turn now to uh, New South Wales abortion laws, and uh, this is a big topic. This is a tough topic, so buckle yourselves in. But on Sunday, the 28th of July, a new bill was unveiled by independent member for Sydney, Alex Greenwich, uh, and uh, that bill was unveiled, and he made an agreement with the government, an agreement with Premier Gladys Berejiklian, that that bill would be introduced for the first time just a few days later on the 1st of August, and it would be passed the same day. And so debate would be completely truncated, and it wouldn't be discussed, and it would just sail on through uh, rapidly, hastily, without consideration. Very, very uh, unfortunate plan and something that goes against the standing orders of Parliament. They had to suspend those standing orders in order to get it to happen. Um, and uh, fortunately, that plan has been changed. Uh, and it's been changed because several MPs, including members of Cabinet and a whole bunch of pro-life groups, really sounded the alarm on this issue. Um, this is the bill. It is, in fact, among the most extreme bills in the entire world. I would imagine only Canada is really any worse than this. But this is a bill that's modelled on the Queensland and the Victoria legislation. Victoria came about a decade ago. Queensland came in just recently. And this bill says it allows for no limits abortion for any reason at any time, provided a medical practitioner does the job up until 22 weeks. That's just over five months gestation. After 22 weeks, and remember, 22 weeks is the point at which a child becomes likely viable outside the womb in the sense that a child born at this stage or delivered at this stage is a child that can go on to have their life saved and to live a healthy, flourishing, normal life. And yet, after 22 weeks, abortion is still more than possible right up until the point of birth, provided two doctors give the nod. The doctors have no real restrictions on them at all. There's some 
flim flam out there about, uh, well, you know, there's, they've got to consider the whole circumstances and say that it's okay. Actually, in reality, the framing of the legislation puts no uh, restrictions on the doctors at all. They can just sign it off and they do. Um, and not only that, but the bill forces doctors to be complicit in abortion, regardless of their faith, regardless of their conscience, regardless of their convictions. They must either perform an abortion on a woman or refer her to someone whom they know will perform the abortion. And anybody who has a Christian faith, anybody who has most faiths know how that that is simply going to force medical professionals out of the profession the more laws like this come in. Now, New South Wales Treasurer Dominic Perrottet has said that he's going to vote against the bill, saying he cannot support laws that, quote, stop a beating heart. Ray Williams, member for Castle Hill, has said that he's received nothing from his constituents in support of the bill, but hundreds of emails and phone calls in opposition. Barnaby Joyce, for all his recent failings, said something really good in the federal parliament. He gave a great speech and he said, on the 1st of June, Vicky's and my son Tom took his first breath. This was not the start of his life. The reality is he was part of this world for some time and was merely passing from one room into another. Mark Latham, member of the New South Wales Upper House for One Nation, said, like all laws that are being rushed, inevitably this one will be faulty. I'm not a religious person, but I got to say, I see a heavily pregnant woman walking down the street and the woman's eight months pregnant. I work on the assumption that there's a human being in there. Well, let's uh, look at some proof for what these guys are saying. Here are some facts. By four weeks gestation, an unborn child has a heartbeat, 65 beats per minute. Circulation has begun. In the second month, fingers, toes and eyes are forming. The brain, the spinal cord and other neural tissue is well formed. Bone starts to replace cartilage. In the third month, 9 to 12 weeks, this is still in the first trimester, the child can open and close its fist and mouth. It has ears, it has fingernails, toenails, its teeth are growing, the urinary system is working, the liver is producing bile. I could go on. That's one trimester up until 12 weeks. By 16 weeks, a few weeks into the second trimester, the child can feel pain. I repeat, the child can feel pain. That's significant. At the very start of the second trimester, the child is yawning, stretching and making faces. This is life. This is actual human life. It's not less than human. It's not animal life. It's, it's life. It's a baby. Renowned neurosurgeon, one of America's foremost neurosurgeons, Ben Carson, recently said this. He said, I've had the privilege of being able to operate on little babies that were 25, 26, 27, 28 weeks gestation. And I can guarantee you that they can feel, they can react. You have to give them anesthesia if you're going to cut them. But they can also respond to comfort and to warmth. And for somebody to say that's a meaningless bunch of cells, honestly, it's just totally ignorant. Dr. Anthony Levitino is a former abortionist. He has performed over 1,200 dilation and extraction abortions, normally on women in the second trimester. His videos are online, you can look them up, and he describes an abortion procedure. And he produces a metal grasping instrument with sharp teeth. It's about yay long and there's very sharp teeth on the end, like big set of scissors. Uh, and, 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 he just, and, he, and he calls it a sofa, he says it's a sofa clamp. And he describes inserting a sofa clamp through a woman's cervix and grabbing hard and pulling. And out comes a little leg. Then he takes the clamp again and he inserts it and he grabs hard and pulls. And out comes a little arm. And so you repeat until only the head remains. He says about the size of a plum. And you put that clamp back in and you find the head and you grab it and you crush it. And he says, you know you've done it right when white fluid flows out. 
because that's the baby's brains. And he says, you look at your little collection of baby body parts and you do an audit and you make sure you've got the whole baby. And he said, sometimes when you look down, there's a little face staring back at you. Laws are set to be passed in the Australian Capital Territory that recognise the feelings of animals, their intrinsic value and their right to be treated with compassion. There are European countries that have recently passed laws banning the boiling of lobsters because they can feel the pain. We treat our animals better than we treat our children. A child at 22 weeks gestation is a viable child. It's a life that could be born, a life that could be saved, a life that can be operated on, that can be celebrated, that can go on to live to be you or to be me. And that child can be killed, painfully killed. It can feel it, it knows. It can be robbed of real and full life. The logic of this debate actually is very clear and it's very sound. But logic isn't working. It isn't winning this debate. Now it should. Don't get me wrong, it should. Truth does matter. The truth does have consequences. Truth must guide us. There's a belief out there that, you know, sometimes I think we've imbibed a little bit that, you know, yes, that might be true, but there's something else more important, like me, like my feelings. I don't care that that's true. You can't end up there. That's a very dark place to be because lies have a dark end. And yet the truth about abortion is obvious, but not sufficient, it seems, to change many hearts and many minds. Why? Because people are thinking about this in an illogical way. There is something more important to them on this subject than the truth. You say, well, what would that be? Well, the answer is themselves. One in four Australian women have had an abortion. Those are pretty good stats, actually, uh, in terms of their robustness. And that means a similar number of men have therefore been complicit in abortion. That many men have had children, made children that they don't want to father. That many women have created children that they don't want to mother. Now, people will say, oh, yes, but, you know, incest and rape and, uh, and, and disability. Look, that is a minority, a serious minority of abortions. Most of them are largely for reasons within the realm of convenience. And whether they like it or not, men or women, no matter how deep it's been buried, no matter how positive they've made themselves feel, no matter how empowered they've declared themselves to be, the problem of guilt will always linger deep within. And it is high stakes. If the finger of accusation which points at you, at least from your conscience, is right, then you are a killer. More than that. A woman's motherhood instinct runs very, very deep. We can scarcely comprehend just how deep. Therefore, equally, we can scarcely comprehend the internalized anguish of killing her child. The psychology of abortion is absolutely terrifying. The truth threatens to tear apart a woman's psychology. The truth threatens to accuse her with a crime that she cannot bear the weight of. And the same for a man who is complicit. The same for a medical team who is assisting. The truth threatens the indulgent, hedonistic, self-centered lives that we are living in the West. Sex with whomever, whenever, as much as ever, regardless of whatever. 
Will we dare contemplate the idea that our lives are licensing a hideous crime? Actually, ultimately a crime against God, if not merely against our conscience, if not merely against a child, a human life. Someone has to say it, and so I will. There is one word which summarizes the nature of the abortion debate in our country more than any other, and I'm, it is tragic to say it is guilt. That's the word, guilt. That's what's driving people when it comes to this issue, an inability to face the reality of one's guilt. But you know something, guilt can do one of two things. Guilt can drive us into ourselves. Guilt can drive us away from the truth, as we've just described. It can drive us away from light. It can drive us away from goodness. It can make us double down on our wrong. And it actually can, in that way, start to destroy us and eat away at us and rob us of peace in ways that we can scarcely understand. You know, you raise abortion in any political context, in a mixed company room, I tell you what, the anger that you'll feel, the, 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 the incredible blowback, what is it? It is lack of peace because of guilt in ways that people can scarcely know and understand. Guilt can do that. Or actually, guilt can do something else. Guilt can and should and is supposed to drive us to Christ. It's supposed to drive us to the one who loves to forgive. His arms are outstretched. He desires, he longs to release, to forgive, to make right, to cover somebody in righteousness when they repent towards him. And if you doubt that, if you doubt his desire to do that, to lift the weight of someone's guilt and cast their burden off, just look at what he did in order to make it possible. Look at the weight of the cross that he bore. Look at the death that he died. Look at all that he suffered in order to make this possible. Of course he does. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Those are the words of scripture. And so, do you know, I'm moved that we must campaign against abortion. We must stand firm against the awful atrocity of killing human life for convenience, for hedonism. But also we must hold high the unfathomable mercy of Christ for those who are, and believe me, there's many. The stats prove it. Those who are laboring under the terrible and tragic guilt of abortion. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Christians Engaging Culture. Make sure you discuss this material after church and discipleship groups so we can sharpen one another as a church community. If you look in this episode's show notes, you'll find a link to the Sydney Morning Herald article I mentioned earlier, as well as a statement from the Wilberforce Foundation, a group of Australian lawyers opposed to these changes in the law. In addition, I have linked to a video called 180 that will equip you to turn conversations about abortion to the gospel and another video called Babies Are Murdered Here that calls for the complete abolition of abortion. 
There's also a website called abortionprocedures.com that presents animations of what happens in an abortion procedure. This is a topic that grieves my heart greatly, and I pray that the Lord will have mercy on our nation and grant us repentance. If you have been involved in an abortion as a mother or as a father, like Martin said, there is forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ, even forgiveness for murder. We cannot hide our sin from God, but if we bring it into the light and ask for mercy, he is a gracious and forgiving father. As the Apostle Paul said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Repent of your sin and trust that Jesus is a far greater saviour than you are a sinner. We will be hosting Martin Isles at St Thomas's as part of our upcoming module on religious liberty. There will be an open forum with Martin on Sunday the 25th of August from 6.15pm in the Memorial Hall. There is a suggested donation of $5 to cover the, the cost of a light dinner. You can find out more information and RSVP at the coming events page of our website. Until next week, remember the wor words of Charles Spurgeon. If Christ be anything, he must be everything.